You may have noticed that this uh, passage that Johnny just read us sounds very familiar. It's the same one that we read last week or part of the same one we read last week. Or maybe it doesn't feel familiar to you. Uh, we had some tech difficulties last week uh, that were very much out of our control and inconvenient. Uh, so if you tried and couldn't get on, we're really sorry, uh, but we're thankful you're here today. So um, I was talking to my dad after church last week and I realized two things. One is uh, if you did catch the sermon, um, he did not buy me corn nuts, he was quick to say. Um, we drove to Colorado from Tennessee with a friend of his and what we realized is that this friend David Haskins felt really bad for my brother and I that all we could have is a raisin cake and so he's the one who bought us corn nuts um, and then the second thing that I realized was that I wasn't done with this passage out of Luke 24 I told dad I felt like I was just getting started on it um, we we had talked about the long journey to Emmaus but we missed the meal and uh, the meal is such a good part there's so much happening in it so uh, quickly just in case you missed it I just want to catch you up on what happens in the scriptures before what Johnny read, what we talked about last week. Um, or maybe you just have Zoom brain like me and you have some sort of uh, temporary memory loss. I keep uh, ending up in rooms and I can't remember why I walked in them. So that may be you too. So just a, a quick recap. Uh, the beginning of the story tells us about two people, uh, Cleopas and a friend that's traveling with him. And they're leaving Jerusalem um, after Jesus has died. They're leaving Jerusalem and they're heading toward a place called Emmaus. And it's a seven mile journey, Luke tells us. And, and we talked about how it's a journey that we all take sometimes. Uh, uh, Frederick Beatner calls Emmaus the road we take when we need to forget and, and how we all take journeys like that. And then someone uh, appears to Cleopas and his friend. And um, the, the stranger that appears to them is Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And so in Luke's story, the stranger asks them what it is that they're talking about, what it is that has them so sad. And they're shocked that this stranger hasn't heard. They say uh, that he must be the only one, the only one for miles who hasn't heard that Jesus had died at the hands of the government and the religious leaders. And, and as they're telling the story of their last week and few days, they, they say this phrase, uh, they say, we had hoped we had hoped that Jesus was more than he actually turned out to be. And then the conversation switches and, and the stranger unpacks the story of, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus throughout the entire scriptures. And that's where we pick up today. They have been on this journey, this road of disappointment, this road to forget, this road full of we had hoped. And, and that is where the resurrected Jesus meets them. And that feels like a really big deal for me. That might be another sermon. Maybe we'll go week three next week. Um, but if you're, I do want to say this. If you are walking a road that feels hopeless or disappointed, uh, we learned from this text that Jesus is in the business of showing up on roads just like that. Uh, so they get where they meant to go. Uh, the stranger and Cleopas and his friend, they get to Emmaus. And this is super interesting. I learned this this week that, that uh, scholars really aren't super sure where or what Emmaus is. Um, if it's a city or a town or a building or a place or what, there's not a lot of reliable scholarship out there um, uh, that tells us where exactly they ended up, other than Luke telling us that it's seven miles outside of Jerusalem. But we do know is that they got where they meant to be. And Jesus, uh, he's going to continue on his journey, but they beg him to stay with them. And I love that. I, I love this. Jesus never forces his way anywhere. He is always waiting to be invited, and they do. They invite him to dinner. 
and I love stories in the gospel about dinner. Um, do you have dinners in your life that you remember, like um, dinners you'll just remember forever? I believe uh, that some of the most magical parts of being a person uh, take place around the table. It's this thing that we all do. We all eat and we all drink, but sometimes um, what is so mundane and so ordinary uh, does that transforms into something magical. And, and, I, and I think that that is so true for many of us. So many of my favorite and most memorable moments in my life, uh, so many of them have taken place around a table. A few years ago, my brother and I, my brother who is precious to me, my brother and I, uh, we started cooking Christmas dinner together. And, and so Christmas for us is noodles piled really high and chicken that always takes longer than we think it will take. And we all sit around my parents' big table uh, with those popper things, crackers, and, and, and we wear the tissue paper hats and we read the jokes and our kids argue over the toys and, and we sit at the table for so long and it feels like magic. I have uh, these few dinners in my head, uh, these memories of dinners with friends that are just uh, like burned in my mind forever in a really good and sweet way. And sometimes those dinners, they're really special, like the perfect setting and good china and good wine and flowers and real napkins. And, and sometimes they're just totally normal where we sat on a back porch or a back patio or a, or a screening porch or a church parking lot all in a circle and we ate and drank and laughed and, and, and I love these memories. And I have to think that this was one of the most magical meals for Cleopas and his friend. I think we, it's safe to argue it. It is the most magical meal of their lives. They sit down for dinner and Jesus steps in. It's actually a surprising thing. Cleopas is the host. He invited the stranger. He provided the meal. And yet Jesus uh, moves to the head of the table and he assumes the role as host. And Luke tells us that he takes the bread and he breaks it and he blesses it and he gives it to him. It's a familiar scene. The Gospels tell us plenty of stories about, the Je about Jesus and bread. Uh, and in all of them, Jesus, he's doing the same thing. He is taking it and blessing it and breaking it and giving it. He does this with um, the fish and the loaves when he feeds 5,000 people. He does it a little while later uh, when he feeds 4,000 people. He does it just a few days before his death in an upper room with his very best friends and bread and wine taken and blessed and broken and given. Uh, loads of Bible scholars and theologians have connected the dots between what Jesus is always doing with bread and, and what he's doing with us. Jesus, the master of the word picture, has shown his followers over and over again what the course of his life would be. Through bread, he, he has shown them that he would be taken, blessed by the Father at his baptism in the Sea of Galilee, broken by the cross and given through the resurrection. But in his pictures with bread throughout the gospel, he is also giving us context uh, for the move of the Spirit in our lives as well. In the word picture, uh, Jesus is the bread and somehow so are we, taken and blessed and broken and given. Taken, chosen by the Father as his own, we are the beloved of the Father. 
For so many of us, this is the true work of our lives with Jesus, feeling like sons and daughters of the King, chosen and beloved by the one who made us. The first step of believing that what Jesus says might be true, that we are loved just as we are, chosen just as we are. Jesus, out of his grace and mercy, he takes whatever it is that we bring to him. We offer what we have just as we have it, and he takes it. He takes what we offer, and he blesses it. It's the next move of the Spirit. He, he blesses it. This is no small thing. Uh, we offer what we have to Jesus, and he blesses it. He takes it to the Father with gratitude, not condemnation. When Jesus feeds 5,000 people, we don't see him saying, oh, you only have five loaves and 5,000 people, nice try, this is a joke. That, that's not what we see. He doesn't mock or condemn or exclude one Lunchable for 5,000 people. He doesn't exclude them or mock them or condemn them. He, he doesn't take that food and do those things. He takes that food and he blesses it. And he does the same with, for what we have to offer. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who I love, he says uh, that this, bless, this is the blessing that gathers all of us and everything that we are into everything that Christ is and does for us. That's what blessing does. It gathers all of us and everything that we are into Christ and who he is and all he has done for us. And then uh, we're broken. That's the part that feels weird in uh, the progression. It's the easily misunderstood part. This is uh, the part of the rhythm in our lives. This is not some sort of punishment as it's been taught. It isn't um, retributive. It's not God breaking us to show us who's boss. Broken here uh, means refinement. Remember, when Jesus breaks the bread for the 5,000 people, it doesn't shatter into nothing. It transforms into something spectacular. It's not the confirmation that we are worthless and then the punishment for it. Uh, the breaking, it's the acknowledgement that what we bring to Jesus isn't always all the best stuff. The, the breaking of the stuff that is destroying us isn't a bad thing. It is a, an act of mercy. The broken here is a reminder that God's goal for us is not simply behavior management, but to set us free to live the good life of the kingdom of God. His goal for us is kingdom living, and with mercy, he refines it to make it more possible for us. And then we're given. Jesus, he, he gives back what we have given him, but he gives it back as uh, covered in mercy and covered in grace, transformed and empowered. Uh, Henry Nouwen says this, he says, our humanity comes to its fullest bloom in giving. We become beautiful people when we give whatever we can give, a smile, a handshake, a kiss, an embrace, a word of love, a present, a part of our life, all of our life. And so this rhythm, it continues. Jesus taking and blessing and breaking and giving. And I was, as I was thinking about that uh, idea today, I was instantly put into the context of where we are as a culture right now. When it comes to the process of taking and blessing and giving and uh, or breaking and giving, I feel like um, it, it, it gave this picture of what the last few weeks have looked like across the globe. 
Uh, to me, the last few weeks have looked like a loaf of bread being torn open. It's not until you tear open a loaf of bread that, and you, that you see what is inside of it. In the last few weeks, uh, for me personally, and maybe for you, have felt a bit like a tearing open. I keep saying that the quarantine has acted like this big magnifying glass, showing things how they truly are in me. I have seen a deeper version of the devastation of my anxiety and fear and panic and grasping for control, like a big magnifying glass on the things uh, that are destroying me and the people around me. And I want to be really clear, I, I do not think that the coronavirus is the judgment of God or the punishment of God against us or anything like that. I do, however, think that God and his mercy and power can use anything to draw us to himself. And I think that there's a great opportunity for us to allow God access uh, to our hearts here through what has been broken in so many ways in our society, um, our own plans, our own hearts, through what has been broken, there is an opportunity to refine the broken and the destructive and the damaging places inside us. There is a great opportunity here in the great slowing down for us to break open the loaf, so to speak, and to take a look inside at, at what needs to be kept or cleaned or dealt with or celebrated. This is a good time for the inner work. It's a good time to listen to the restlessness that happens inside us as we try to sit still or try to pray. It's a good time uh, to look at the numbing that uh, we desire as we binge or scroll instantly. It's a good time to look at the fear that sneaks its way into the creeks and crevices of our heart and our mind and our lives. It's the brokenness that opens us up to the light and the love and the grace of God. And it's a good time to remember uh, that the story doesn't end with broken. The progression doesn't end with broken. The story of Jesus doesn't end with broken and neither does ours. The end result in every case is something transformed and spectacular. Fish and bread for thousands of people. Or here in this story, the bread is broken and Jesus disappears in an instant, only to reappear in the telling of the story. Broken gives room for transformation. One more thing. Uh, Henry Nouwen, who I just quoted, he says that as a follower of Jesus, we are meant to become uh, broken bread for the world. Taken, blessed, broken, and given. We are meant to be bread for the world. It's not just a rhythm of the spirit in our inner lives. It's also the rhythm that lives in our outer lives as followers of Jesus, as human beings. This is how we show up in the world as Easter people. We are always taking and blessing and breaking and giving. I think it's incredibly important for us to figure out what that looks like now. We were trying to figure out rhythms of that and then everything in the world shifted. And so it's important that we say, what does this look like now? Uh, not just in our inner life, but also in our outer life. The truth is things aren't uh, normal as we have known them. And, and most likely they won't go back to exactly normal as we've known them for a really long time. And, and so my question for us this week as a church is, what does it look like for you to show up in the world as someone beloved by God, taking and blessing and breaking and giving? 
Uh, I want to end our few minutes together uh, like this. Um, we don't know what blessing Jesus prayed over the bread before he broke it uh, that evening in Emmaus. Uh, but there is a prayer found in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 6. It's a prayer called um, the Aaronic blessing or the priestly blessing. And um, as I, at the church I grew up in as a kid, the pastor, he would walk up and down the aisles each week at the end of the service and he would say this blessing over his people. Um, it, it's, it's what I pray when I sneak into my kid's room late at night when they're asleep. Uh, it's how I pray for you when we're together, and it is how I'm praying for you as we're apart. And so in the name of blessing, uh, I want to end our time here together by reading this blessing to you as a prayer over you during this crazy time in our lives and in history. So it comes out of Numbers chapter 6, and it says this, uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And may he lift the light of his presence on you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Um, yes, I think so. The slump. Lindsay, Communion, Vineyard Spring Break, Sunday, May 3rd, take one. And one of the tables that in my life the most magic happens around is uh, when we every week come to the table all together as a family. Um, some weeks it's just something that I do and some weeks it is uh, something that is transformative, something that becomes a spectacular something inside of me. And so uh, in my mind, this is not something we'll stop doing. This is what we do together. We come to the table to enjoy the gifts of God for the people of God. And so uh, 
find what you can. Uh, last week, I think I said find something solid and something liquid and, and make it work. Um, if you are longing for something that looks a little more like our traditional communion, then let us know and we will gladly bring it and drop it on your doorstep in a baggie and you can clean it yourself and then have it. So, um, But we want to keep coming to the table together. So uh, wherever you are, if you are by yourself or with people, will you take the bread and will you take the juice and know that it is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you? And so on the night he was betrayed, Jesus, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And then he gave it to them and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this out of your great affection for me. And then in the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he gave it to them and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink this out of your great affection for me. For whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim my life, death, and we believe resurrection forever. So let's pray together and then we'll put a timer on the screen and you can have communion. So Father, we thank you that you are in the business of showing up on disappointed roads and that you are in the business of showing up around tables. And so God, we ask you in these moments, um, that at this time of service is when I feel most far away uh, from my people. And so, God, we ask you in this moment, will you show up around whatever table we happen to be sitting at? Will you um, take uh, whatever elements we are using um, to signify your body and your blood? Will you take them and will you transform them into something spectacular? We thank you that you made a way for us where there was no way. We thank you that you uh, didn't leave us, but that you took us, you chose us as your beloved people, and you have blessed us, and you have broken us and refined us, and then you have given us back into the world, and we come to your table and we say thank you. Thank you uh, that your stance toward us is single and relentless. You love us. In your name we pray. Amen.